Hello and welcome to Access Chat. We're delighted to be joined today by Rick Williams of Freeney Williams. Rick has been instrumental in putting out a, a report a couple of years back called the Click Away Pound, which was looking at the impact of inaccessibility on consumer uh, habits and, and preferences amongst people with disabilities and what that meant for retail. Um, and in the last couple of weeks, He's launched the updated version. So um, welcome, Rick. Please um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to write the reports, and, and um, then we'll dive in a bit into the detail. Okay. So um, I set up Freeney Williams as a company just after 2001. Um, we work in the field of disability. And one of the things we did quite a lot of work on over the years is website accessibility and usability. And despite the climate of legislation, guidance, and all the other things that go with it, um, we weren't getting anywhere. Businesses, websites were still inaccessible. People were in, experiencing increasing problems. And we just thought that we needed to find a way to try and convince business that the bottom line is an issue in terms of what happens if someone with access need uh, click onto a website they can't use. And we thought we would give that a go. So that's really the thinking behind it. The sort of, there's a, an equivalent sort of non-website version called the Walkaway Pound, which gave me the idea uh, of trying it for websites to see if that would actually put some figures around the bottom line instead of it just being something people thought was a jolly good idea. So we launched the first one in 2016. Excellent. And we're not talking small sums of money here, are we? No. The latest report says that we're looking at disabled people online spend just over 24 billion a year. Um, and the click away part of that is over 17 billion now. That means that 17 billion pound isn't lost, it's displaced. It goes to those websites that are accessible. And that was that was UK specific or, or, or global? That's UK specific, and it's about ten percent of the UK online spend. Okay, that's 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 a that's a that's a huge amount of money, um, and and that that's going to make a big difference to the the companies that are open, inclusive, and and able to attract those customers. So, Deborah, I know you've got a question. Yes, and, and, and first of all, happy Valentine's Day. We are uh, recording, even though nobody's wearing red. Rick, why are you not wearing red? Uh, uh, my wife deserted me and gone away, so I'm here all by myself, so I didn't have to bother. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Um, well, welcome to the program. And you know what, Rick? Uh, I, um, I'm across the pond. I'm in the United States. I'm in, mm -hmm. currently in Virginia right now. And I know that what we did, and I'm not saying it's the right way to do it. We tend to make things a little messy here in the States. But, you know, of course, we started suing each other. So it's like even though our Americans with Disabilities Act is 30 years old this year, uh, we mm. were finding that um, businesses were not, you know, making their websites accessible. So um, 
so Americans started suing each other, and the lawsuits continued to build and build and build and build. And I, I sometimes think that we have actually an advantage over other countries that we can sue each other for such large amounts of money too. Um, and I, even though we try more and more and more, we've been talking about the business case and innovation, and and the American companies are definitely hearing that. Um, and the global and the global companies as well. But I, how you know, how do you find that the companies are listening, especially because most companies are in more than one country and most companies that are in the UK are also in the US. I, I don't know if most is the right word, but certainly a lot of the big ones are that way. So how do you how how do you get the really get their attention? especially when these numbers are so huge. Are you finding that some of the efforts, like the litigation efforts, throwing it into you know the global efforts, are, are those helping you as you get such grounded, really good information? It's sort of, why would a corporation not do this in the UK? If I knew the answer to that, I'd be a very happy man. <laughs> um, the legislation over here is different, clearly, than in the US, and there hasn't been one case taken under the Equalities Act in the UK in websites. Um, you've got Section 508, which is much more prescriptive, and I think we're reluctantly coming to the view that to make this happen and change in the UK, we're going to have to look at changing the law. They've done it now for public sector websites. There's an obligation now on all websites that are public sector based to achieve WCAG 2.1. Um, and that's rolling out now. But that doesn't apply to business generally. And I really don't know why business don't pay more attention to this. That's why we launched the Click Away Pound. But the results this year or last year's figures look pretty similar to the ones we researched in 2016. So maybe the law is the only way to catch people's attention. Right. And I know that, you know, we have the lovely Dr. Caroline Casey with the Valuable 500 that Access Chat supports. Yeah. Um, are you finding some of the efforts that are being made by the community like the Valuable 500? Is that helping with the conversations? No. Are, are, no and maybe well, and you know what? I, I think that I think the better way to say it is since it just started, we haven't had time to see the impact yet, just to be fair to it. But I'm just wondering with the work you're doing, the work Caroline's doing, the work we're doing at Access Chat and others, I'm just hoping that at some point it's all going to converge together. But let me turn the mic over to Antonio. I know he has a comment. No, the comment was on that because we have the European Accessibility Act, we have new regulation coming from the EU. Mm -hmm. So there are some expectations regarding that. Do you, do you, from what you have the chance to 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 read so far, do 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 you see that the the, the way uh, that is being established can actually improve things? It might do, but not in the UK, of course, unfortunately. Um, it will help, I think, in, in general terms. Anything that you do that concentrates the minds of people responsible for this will help. I think to get a seed change, it's going to take quite a while. So in the first report, we spent some time exploring why we think organizations find this so difficult. And part of it, I think, is that no one has responsible responsibility 
for the entire issue. If you generally think about who's got a, a say in a website, it's not just the website developers. In fact, typically they're sort of the, the other people that do the work, but everyone else sort of interferes with their, their approach. So you get marketing, you get sales, you get comms people, um, and all of these people uh, have a say. And I think it confuses the issue. So by the time people like me go and talk to their developers or whoever about website accessibility and usability, um, you know, it's it's lost. It's it's not high up their agenda. And they constantly confuse two issues. They constantly confuse the difference between accessibility and usability. So if they comply with WCAG2, they typically test it with automated tools, which, you know, is helpful, but you can only test for about 60 to 70% of the indicators with automatic tools. You do need man manual assessment as well. But rather weirdly, it seems to me, is that you can be WCAG 2.1 AA compliant, sorry about all the jargon, um, but the site still may not be particularly usable for someone with a disability or an access need uh, because they haven't actually assessed it in the right way. So it's, it's a fairly complex issue, and with no one owning the problem, uh, it's quite diffuse their approach. So anything that forces their attention back into the issue, uh, and the law is one of those, I think, probably one of the stronger ones, can only be beneficial, I think. So, uh, something that I observe, and we were having a conversation on Twitter just uh, a week ago, is that there's plenty of, uh, you know, uh, in, in UK, plenty of conversations about design, website, mm. with, with marketing, mm. with agencies. Everyone is talking about, you know, finding ways to, to bring more people to purchase. But usually mm. those spaces, there's no one there that relates with accessibility. Plenty of people on usability, but mm. they are really uncomfortable with any topic that relates with accessibility. And sometimes... When they talk about accessibility, they say, oh, we just need to change the colors on the website a little bit, and then it's fine. Why do you see that that's kind of a, a disengagement yeah. or the usability and the designer community not engaged on this topic? Because, in fact, yeah. the UK is one of the countries where there's a kind of a cultural environment that could favor, favor, make them th this work easier for them. Well, there's a number of issues, I think. Firstly is that, Generally speaking, people still regard disability under what we call the medical model issue. So there's still a view that people not being able to use the website is an issue for visually impaired people. That really isn't the case, and that's quite well proven, but it's a stereotype judgment people make. And once they make that judgment, they then assume that the problems can be solved by doing this or something else, you know, something fairly simplistic. And they don't really do it as a holistic issue. We all know that if you design a website to be accessible and usable from the outset, it doesn't actually cost you any more money. Uh, but it takes a change of thinking to understand that someone with access needs can be someone with dyslexia, someone who can't use a keyboard, um, you know, any number of conditions. And when we look at the results of the survey, the barriers are quite significantly around things like design issues. So too much text on a page, badly laid out text, poor color contrast. These sorts of things are far bigger barriers than uh, some of the more, if you like, traditional views that people have about what causes the barriers. 
So there's an education issue, um, but getting people to understand that is, is quite challenging. And I would say also, Rick, just to complicate the problems a little bit more, what we are seeing across the world is that even when companies are working towards making things accessible, and I agree with you, you know, building a website from the beginning that's accessible isn't going to cost you any more money. But what we're finding is that um, the companies have trouble keeping it accessible as well. Mm. And mm. They, I, I hear corporations often talking about that, that the accessibility community doesn't understand all the moving parts and uh, everything that's happening. And then mm. they have mergers and acquisitions coming in and dumping it in. But we, we're also seeing a real problem. Of, and that's why I think it's so important to framework accessibility. But um, we, we're seeing a lot of people in the United States, for example, uh, spending a lot of money with the accessibility experts, working to make it part of their process. But once the vendor leaves, um, they kick themselves out of compliance very, very quickly. Yeah. And, and part of what we spend quite a lot of our time doing with the companies that we do work with is looking at their management protocols about how they manage this. So if you go to the average company, they will have all sorts of protocols in that says we're going to design to company branding. We will design to these standards in terms of what our average user wants, et cetera. And they have assessment processes. They have to be signed off at various stages. They have a whole management framework that just does not apply to disability access. So quite often people will fix the site, but what they won't then do is put in place management protocols that says now we fixed it. In future, these are the things we must do just as a matter of course, business as usual, in the way that we address these issues. And that's part of the problem. They think it's a one-off. It's not. It's an ongoing thing. But as is any other business process, and until they integrate it into those processes, this is going to be a continuing problem for them. Agreed. I mean, it is absolutely a business process, and, and uh, as the person responsible for trying to inject accessibility um, and quality into our business processes as a large organization. It, it, it is definitely a challenge. We know, for example, we've got 110,000 staff, mm. thousands and thousands of products. We do have branding guidelines. We do have our you know, processes that say these are the points in your product development process and your maintenance process where accessibility applies. Relying on people to follow the processes or even knowing where to find the processes in mm. an ever-changing mm. world and environment mm. can be tricky. So um, it's, n it's not just about having them, it's about working out how they can be enforced. And, and in really large companies, you're talking about you know, you have internal audit processes, so it's then getting mm. uh, all of the accessibility into those audit processes and making sure that it becomes. And this is this is like turning around an oil tanker. Yeah, oh, I agree. this kind of stuff of, uh, that that you're doing um, to change the cultural mindset and the development mindset takes years. Now, mm. I wish it, I wish it weren't weren't so, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it does. So um, because what you know, it's a bit like security. You know, for for a long time, we didn't take information security that seriously because the the fallout wasn't that great. Mm. Um, mm. But but now, 
uh, you know, it, it, security isn't the responsibility of the uh, of the cybersecurity team. Mm-hmm. It's the responsibility of everyone, and and that's something that has now been inculcated into people working in tech. Whether that's really been inculcated into uh, to, to other companies and retail where their main business isn't understood to be tech mm. still uh, still needs to be seen because I think the, the, the thing is is that a lot of businesses don't recognize that they're actually now technology businesses because every business is so dependent on technology that regardless of what um, what what market you're in, Essentially, you're a technology business, and I think yeah, that that adjustment hasn't—I I think that that adjustment hasn't necessarily taken place in the mindsets of people yet. So, so um, I—I'm I, not making excuses because I, I think that you know, we need, as collective uh, in business, to be doing this better. Um, but I do think that, that that there is this. You know, we need. We need things like your um, your survey results and the campaigns that you're running change those mindsets because it's not just a, it's not just about having the processes. Sometimes people ignore the processes or or, or sort of they're to their back they're to the back of their minds. So so there's a sort of kind of multi pronged approach that, that that's required to to sort of make make some of this stuff stick. Um, I think you're right, Neil. I think that one of the challenges is there is a distinct lack of understanding of what the issues actually are and what the implications are. And that continues to be true. Uh, An an example here would be the number of times we go into organizations where they don't do the development of a site or an app internally, they subcontract it. And their procurement processes completely ignore the accessibility and usability aspects. So what they'll say is, oh, you need to be, the site needs to be accessible. Now, which developer in the world is going to say, no, we didn't think we would do that? They all say, yes, of course we will. And that's it in contract terms. But nobody specifies what they mean by accessibility, what the testing regime is, and how they're going to demonstrate that they've done it. So Mm. there is an issue here about, excuse the phrase, but, you know, an unintelligent customer. I mean, why wouldn't they be? How do they know what they don't know? It's a classic. But somehow we need to make sure that there is a multi-pronged approach. You're absolutely right. And this just just doesn't lie with the developers. It lies with a whole range of people. And education about what the issues actually are and the implications um, are quite difficult to get through to people because they do not yet see it as a significant issue still, I don't think. Yeah, and and I do think that that then is you know again another multi-pronged approach is a requirement for the law to have teeth, uh, and for those and for those teeth to actually be applied, uh, because because in theory the the Equality Act has significant teeth, it's just never bitten anyone. The problem with the Equality Act is it has to be the person with the uh, discrimination <laughs> impact to take the case. Yes. Yes, which indeed. is incredibly difficult, time-consuming, expensive, and, and, and traumatic, simply because you have to do it through a county court, well, by and large. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's frankly, unless someone puts up a lot of money and supports a case, no individual is going to take one of these cases. They're just too difficult. No. But um, what was interesting in the public sector web directive mm. uh, was that the, the government defined failure to comply Mm-hmm. With a breach of the Equality Act, so 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 in in that 
in that area, we then have a clear definition of, you know, what what uh, accessibility is, what level of accessibility is expected, and then failure to meet it is therefore, you know, a failure under the Equality Act. So I think that yeah. there's that useful joining of the of the legislation, and and it's going to help define stuff. Um, obviously, that's only public sector, but it's it's uh, it's a start, and I think that um, what I'm seeing amongst the you know there is a massive spike in um, in interest of trying mm. to get it right from the from the public sector, um, mm. and that the other area where I am seeing it, which is not retail so much, is banking, because banking yeah. have cottoned on to the fact that you know people with disabilities, uh, you know, there's a big overlap with older people who happen to also hold the assets. So, mm -hmm. so they've, they've made the financial connection to, mm -hmm. to accessibility and, and, you know, people like Barclays who support access chat are products and services as accessible as they can. And I think that, you know, in general, they're not alone amongst the banking community. If you look to the United States, you've got Wells Fargo doing work on accessibility. You've got TD Bank. Yeah, mm. the I think what happens is that, that that this will change sector by sector, because yeah. pe people are a bit like sheep, you know, uh, and businesses are a bit like sheep. They're looking to the competitive environment and going, well, what are they doing? Why? Why? Oh, they're doing that, are they? So, mm -hmm. so it was interesting when we if we go back to the valuable 500, for example. What what happened was that the businesses were joining in clusters, mm -hmm. so um, they would be waiting and seeing if anyone else was going to jump. Mm -hmm. And then once you've got yeah. one or two people from that particular sector. Then the rest pile in because then it becomes something that they want to do and they don't want to be seen to be left behind. What they then need to do is to actually deliver on the commitment. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's a couple of interesting points there. I think that two things about the public sector legislation in the UK now is quite interesting. The first one is a body has been given the responsibility for monitoring it and dealing with it. Yes. And that's really powerful. I think the, the limitation is that they still just talk about uh, WCA 2.1 compliance, and I think that's unfortunate. I think they could have gone a bit further than that. In terms of the sector issue, I think you're absolutely right. I use banking apps quite a lot, quite a few different ones, and generally speaking, the apps aren't too bad. Um, but I use online shopping uh, a lot, and I use one particular company app, which I think is absolutely brilliant, uh, compared to most of the others which aren't. And uh, what's interesting is that when we've talked to the uh, supermarket sector, they always talk about oh, historical problems, legacy issues and things like that. And the company I use is, is relatively new and doesn't have a high street presence or traditional website. So, uh, but they take a lot of um, disabled people's business simply because they're very accessible, even though they are probably the second most expensive uh, retail chain. So the report this time did say that uh, something like 86% of disabled users uh, spend more on a product uh, if it's accessible rather than try and find somewhere that's cheaper that might give them a lot of aggregation with a website. So yeah, it's an interesting sort of area. And I think that, that that's interesting from two angles. One is that people, people have, have always, disabled or not, 
being willing to pay for convenience. Mm, absolutely. Uh, in, yeah. Um, but but the other the other is yes, ab- absolutely the you know the fact that uh, the disruptors, the the Ocados, the Metro banks of this world, the ones mm. that don't have an infrastructure built on fifty year old code, actually mm. have a strategic advantage in being able to just start with a clean sheet. Now that's not yeah. an excuse for the for the incumbents to be complacent, but um but I and I'm assuming that I guessed right with Ocado. You did. <laughs> I'm also a user. So I mean I think they're a they're a very um it's a they're a very um useful um app indeed. But like Antonio just put in the chat window, the, the other element is this is part of the additional cost of being disabled. It's, and, oh, and, and, and so, you know, people with disabilities are being penalized because they don't have access to the, the products and services at the, at the same cost. Mm. Uh, and so, so that needs to be recognized too. Well, I think one of the interesting things is when you look at the uh, 2019 report, the number of disabled people with access needs who uh, use the internet now access it through phones and tablets, which is a massive increase from the last three years. And I've just been talking to Scope, who are running a, their um, equivalent program is called The Big Hack. And one of the issues they're finding is that the cost of the technology is actually a limiting factor. So even though I think iPhones are absolutely brilliant the way they're designed and all of the accessibility features, of course, iPhones are in themselves quite expensive in comparison to some of the other smartphones you can get that are cheaper but don't have the same accessibility features. So even where you have access to something like a Cardo, where you're paying more for the goods you buy, how you access that is also an increased cost to, to, uh, to the individual simply because they have a disability. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's something that that we need to recognise when we're legislating and, and thinking about how we support uh, our our community, um, because mm. the costs of living are higher. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for joining us today. I um, I, I know we've been a little bit short on time today due to some technical issues, but it's been. It's been great to hear about the, the report. We're going to follow up with the, the chat on, on Tuesday night. I just need to thank our supporters, um, who have mentioned one already, which is, which is Barclays and Access. And, uh, also we need to thank Microlink and MyClearText for continuing to keep us on air, for continuing to keep us accessible, uh, and usable, we hope. Um, and thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye now. Thank you, Rick. Cheers, Deborah.